You're listening to the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast, sponsored by the Classic Motor Hub. Hi everybody, I'm James Worley and welcome back to the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast. In the first episode of the season, I was joined by a legend of Formula One, Nigel Mansell. And to continue season four, it's another really special episode featuring a legendary musician who's one half of the best-selling duos of all time, Hall & Oates. I'm thrilled to be joined by John Oates. And I've been keeping this episode back for the week running up to the Goodwood Festival of Speed as it's there that I first realised John's love of all things automotive. As some of you might know, I've been reporting from the festival for BBC Radio and now for the podcast for a number of years. And as ever, I'll be there again this year. But as you'll hear, I didn't know anything of his gearhead credentials until after I briefly interviewed him back in 2019. I'd spotted John in the Formula One paddock. He was there as a guest of Sir Jackie Stewart and the Stewart family. So when we were still in lockdown, I contacted his publicity team and I was delighted that he agreed to come on the Ultimate Road Trip podcast. What I now know is how much of a petrolhead and adventurer he really is, especially after reading his wonderful memoir, Change of Seasons. It's a book which chronicles his musical career, from meeting Daryl Hall at Temple University and then forming their creative partnership in the early 1970s to achieving sales of over 40 million albums, classic singles including Man Eater, I Can't Go For That, You Make My Dreams and Out Of Touch, along with decades of touring with Daryl and also as a solo artist. But it also mixes in stories of his love of cars, racing. He started out in carts before moving on to Formula Ford and other series. He loves people and travelling as well. So I thought a perfect guest on the podcast. He's had plenty of cars over his lifetime and uh, the car he chose for the road trip incidentally was about to be flown over to California to feature in Jay Leno's garage or should I say Jay Leno's garage Uh, check it out on YouTube John uh, takes Jay on a fabulous journey in this particular car which I won't reveal yet on the highways of Southern California Now, along with many of the musicians who have been on the Ultimate Road Trip podcast, John's not just a collector of cars for the sake of it. Along with the likes of Nick Mason, Brian Johnson and Howard Donald, who have all been on the podcast, John has a love of the history, the feel, the sound, every other intricate detail of the cars that he's owned or raced, which is evident in our chat. He has a particular affinity with Porsche, which is apt for this year as they're celebrating 75 years of Porsche sports cars, along with the 60th birthday of the 911 at the Festival of Speed later on this week. Uh, The festival itself is 30 years old. And I've also just seen on his social media channels that John and his family have been celebrating his father's 100th birthday. So just before we hear about John's ultimate road trip, amongst a few other fabulous stories, it's birthday wishes all round. It's happy 30th to the Goodwood Festival of Speed and 75 to the motor circuit there at Goodwood. A happy 75th to Porsche Cars. Happy 100th to Mr Oates Senior. And John himself, I've just realised, was 75 earlier this year. So it's a belated happy 75th, John. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome, live from Nashville, John Oates. John, thank you for your time this afternoon to talk about your ultimate road trip. Yeah, my ultimate road trip. Um, I don't know if I've uh, actually uh, had it, had one yet. I've had a lot of really good ones, though. <laughs> well, first things first, 
you won't remember, but a couple of years ago, you were at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And yes. uh, and I was there for the BBC and I I was walking through the paddock and I, I did a double take and I, and I and I thought, that's John Oates. And what I should have known at the time, if I'd have read uh, your memoir, Changing Seasons, is that you're a car man and uh, you were there checking out some of the incredible cars and drivers. I think uh, you're a friend of Sir Jackie Stewart so uh, and his family. So I think you were there with him. And I just interviewed Sir Jackie, actually, and then I saw your good self. But just going back to your book, Changing Seasons, I kind of gleaned that, you know, your life in a way has been a road trip of sorts, starting out in New York before, of course, you moved to uh, uh, North Wales, Pennsylvania, and then back to New York and then here and there. And you're now in Nashville. So I don't know whether is Nashville, the is that a final kind of destination? You put your roots down <laughs> there. Of course, you're going to be going back to uh, you're going back to Aspen. You've just told me to your, your place there mm -hmm. in a week or so. But uh, is there any way you haven't lived or you, you could move on from Nashville? Or is that where your your heart is now? Well, it is right now. Uh, you know, it's funny, as I've, I've looked back on my life, I've realized that I pretty much lived Every place I've lived, I've lived for 20 years. Right. Um, except for New York, of course, because we moved when I was four years old. But Pennsylvania, then to New York City, and a little bit Connecticut, uh, then to Colorado for 20, 25 years. Right. And now we've been in Nashville for about 12 years. So I, I'm getting close to my, uh, my, my time stamp here in Nashville. Who, who knows where the next... Uh, <laughs> the next trip down the road takes me, but I, I think uh, our, our, my wife and I are very happy with the balance that we have right now. We, we love Nashville. We love uh, the, the music and the people who make music here, and we've become part of the music community, which I'm very proud of, and uh, it's just an incredible uh, group of people. And uh, and then we love Colorado. We love the mountains. You know, that's where that's where my wife and I met. That's where our son was born and where we built our house. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of roots. Uh, we're putting down roots here in Nashville, but we we have a lot of uh, history in Colorado as well. So I think uh, right now it's it feels good to uh, to have the luxury of, uh, of those two amazing places. Absolutely. Of course, in the past year, we haven't done much traveling at all with the pandemic True. with COVID and the lockdown, but you've been, obviously you haven't been able to do any of your live tours or any of your, your rallying or your car stuff per se. But what you have done, of course, is uh, uh, put on an incredible show in March uh, as part of the Feeding America series, your bit uh, to give back for COVID where it was the uh, Oats Song Fest 7908. And I read just earlier that, 450,000 meals were donated as a result of your efforts. Yes. You had Dave Grohl, uh, you had uh, some amazing names. That must have been, uh, you know, you must have been so happy with the results of, of that fabulous. Yes, uh, I was, I was uh, happy and happy and humbled by the uh, amount of response, the, the, the type of response that I had from a lot of my good friends and in the music business, people I've worked with and known over the years, and a lot of people I didn't know. Um, who uh, we reached out to people and it was just amazing to see the response. And I think everyone wanted to do something. I think uh, we, we uh, my wife and I just provided the platform for them to, uh, to give a little bit of their artistic, um, you know, uh, gifts. And uh, it was, it was wonderful. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, hats off to you and uh, uh, to Amy, your wife. Uh, but of course, as I said earlier, you're one half of the biggest 
duo, rock duo of all time with with Daryl Hall. And you met, obviously, back in Pennsylvania. Um, just go through some numbers. Over 22 albums, 80 million records plus sold. You know, some of the biggest hits of the 70s and 80s. I first uh, got to hear you when I was given Rock and Soul Part One. Uh, I grew up sort of late 80s and I was given that uh, album, which was, which was fabulous. And then Big Bam Boom. And, uh, uh, of course, you know, you you still are touring with Daryl. I think you when I saw you at Goodwood, you were just on the uh, the island leg of your of your tour then. Um, right. But of course now you're doing lots of of solo stuff, which we'll uh, come back to briefly. But what we'll do is we'll get on to we'll start with the road trip. We'll start with uh, uh, the cars. And you know, as you said in the, an interview I saw the other day, you're a gearhead, as we know, uh, a petrol head, as we like to say over here and there. And um, and that stems from your time reading road and track magazines and uh, being a, an early fan of f1 in your early teens where you were reading about all these incredible racetracks over in europe of course you your roots are in europe uh, your your family uh, came to the states from europe so that was piqued your interest in in racing and cars yes uh, it was a it was it was a glimpse to another world that uh, an exotic uh, faraway land with uh, exotic names and things like that that you know the Targa Florio and uh, you know Monaco and Fangio and uh, of course Sir Jackie when he wasn't Sir uh, <laughs> when he was just one of the greatest race drivers of all time. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, it was it was really a, you know I felt like I could uh, fantasize about one day perhaps experiencing that and uh, and I I got to do that uh, on a on a big big level which was really f fabulous uh, as as my you know as i the wherewithal of my career allowed me yeah. but um yeah i i started out uh, i had a very good friend who <clears throat> his father ran the uh food concession at a little dirt half mile dirt track near where i grew up called hatfield speedway right. and uh, on saturday night under the lights we would go and watch the midgets and and the the jalopies i actually saw mario andretti race with his brother aldo uh, wow. in a in a a beat up old jalopy when they were just starting out in the early fifties. And I went to Langhorn and some of the great American oval tracks in that area where I grew up. And then at the same time, there was, uh, you know, uh, places like the giant despair hill climb, Reading road races, actual sports car road races on the streets, you know, Watkins Glen was on the, you know, things like that. So um, I did get a chance to experience some of that and it really, I got the bug and it never left me. So as I said, you're a car man. From your book, your one of your first cars was a green Renault Dauphine. I, uh, I read, but they they kind of been uh, everywhere in the states back then. You must have uh, that kind of shows you were looking for something different at the time. So uh, as a first car, perhaps that was your first car. You've you've had plenty. I mean, we'll go through that again uh, as we go through the interview. But if I could start, I'll start with question one uh, for your ultimate road trip. What car would you pick? What's the make, the model, and the color? Well, I have it. Um, I don't have okay. to pick it. I can, I can just slide into the driver's seat and start it. Um, it's it's a 1960 Porsche. Uh, <clears throat> what what began as a 1960 Porsche Cabriolet, which has been transformed by the great Rod Emery uh, into an Emery Special, uh, and it is a fabulous car. In fact, you know, you're talking about an ultimate road trip. Just last week, I took it out, and it was one of those early mornings where I everything seemed to go. Right. Perfectly. Yeah. There was no there was no one on the road. Every time I would turn onto this twisty country road, 
I was always thinking, oh, there's going to be a truck. There's going to be someone in a minivan, some soccer mom, you know, spoil that I'm going to have to figure it out. <laughs> and for some reason, every road was empty. It was absolutely beautiful. And I took the car out to, and I have to say, one of the things that really I love about uh, Middle Tennessee is the roads here are amazing. Uh, they're they're well paved. They're not not very well traveled uh, and they're <laughs> twisty and hilly and it is um, absolutely incredible. So, um, you know, I have to, you know, exercise some restraint and not, uh, I'm not a hooligan the way I was in the old days, but I, I sure like to drive and um, uh, taking that car out. Uh, it's, you know, it's 19, about 1900 pounds, 205 horsepower, um, basically a, a 90s 911 underneath the skin. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's a fabulous car to drive. It looks amazing. It it's really something special. So, uh, but I I will say, and since this is a UK based thing, yeah, I own a, a 1959 MGA twin cam. I saw that. Yeah, I saw yes. that. And you I told me that say, actually a good word. And uh, yeah, it looks yeah. beautiful. Old English white. And my dad had one just like that, but it was only a you got only it. a 1600 you got with wire wheels. But yeah. you've got nice steel wheels. It's a beautiful thing. And I just saw. Sorry to interrupt. You had it. It's kind of you said it's one of the most original MGAs probably in America in an interview I saw recently. It has a fabulous history. Um, do, do you want to hear a little bit about the history yeah, of absolutely. it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, it was a, a U.S. car that was imported to the U.S. in the, uh, in the 60s, early 60s, because it was a 59. Um, and uh, it was owned by someone in North Carolina who seldom drove it and then put it away. And really, it, it languished until the, um, the early 80s. Uh, where it was purchased by a naval officer, a very high-ranking naval officer, who right. was about to be stationed in England for two years, oh. and he was he was a uh, uh, high-ranking enough that he got it. He put it on a naval ship, and then sailed it over to England uh, <laughs> for his two-year uh, stint. You know, in in the UK. Yeah. While he was there, he um, he wanted to restore the car as a project, weekend project. Right. And I think he realized it was out of his, uh, you know, a little bit beyond his ability. And he found a guy named Peter Wood, who uh, I don't know if Peter Wood is actually still alive or not, but uh, he was the uh, evidently the twin cam guru in right. the UK at the time. Yeah. And he spent uh, two years working with Peter Wood and they basically took the car back down to the nuts and bolts and completely restored it in, you know, and updated it where it needed to be updated uh, in pristine condition. It came yeah. back to the United States in the nineties and was never driven again. It was wow. shown a few times. It was shown a few times and it won actually a very prestigious award uh, or two. And it was shown at Pebble beach and it was owned by a, a concourse judge from Pebble beach for a period of time who also never drove it. Right. When I bought the car, it had 1500 miles on it. Uh, <laughs> That's and it a now unique 30, probably, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's essentially as if you drove out of the showroom in 1959. Uh, and uh, I put another 1500 on it. And uh, it is fabulous. And um, I have to say that it's a, it feels like with the Emery car, it's much more of a visceral kind of experience. Yeah. It's a high performance car, but with the feel of an old car, yeah. this is a this feels like an old car. Yeah, yeah. It feels like I'm going back in time. And, you know, it's got the Brooklyn's wheel, you know, the black, you know, uh, plastic wheel. And it's, it's everything about it is right. That little and, stubby um, gear stick. And 
it, oh, it's that, yeah, it's that, yeah, yeah. just clicks and yeah, clicks. it's got yeah. the stubby gear a great 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 uh gear um linkage fantastic linkage the british cars always seem to have great shifting linkage <laughs> um and it's got disc brakes you know so it, it's you know i can drive it uh, you know at a at a you know a nice you know kind of aggressive way but yeah i'm never going that fast really right. And I can really enjoy it. Um, and it's it's a roadster, so you know the top is down. I've, I don't think I ever put the top up. Right. Uh, and it's it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I've seen it on a clip. It's, it looks beautiful. And uh, but just going back to the Rod Emery, it's interesting because over here we don't know much about Rod. Well, I personally mm. don't. We do know of Singer. Of course, Singer have been doing things with 911s, kind of resto modding, which is happening all over uh, the yes. uh, the car world. I mean, Singer was actually, you might know, set up by uh, Rob Dickinson, who used to be uh, yes. lead singer of Catherine Wheel, of the Shoegaze Band. And, mm -hmm. and he's obviously, as you know, you probably know him well, I don't know. But uh, so it was Rod Emery, was Emery, Rod Emery doing what Singer was doing way before Singer was established? Has he been doing that for quite some time? Yeah, I mean Rod Rod Emery's sweet spot is the 356. Um yeah. he uh, what the interesting thing about Rod uh was that his grandfather and father were Southern California hot rodders. Right. And uh, Rod's grandfather was one of the earliest um uh after World War II, he was in the forefront of the Southern California hot rod movement. Right. He was one of the first people to channel cha uh, channel the car, you know, drop the body down over the frame. Um, he did very radical stuff, the chopping of, of the, the, the hood, you know, the, yeah. when, well, for you, the hood is the engine lid. <laughs> for me, the, bonnet, the is, yeah. is, the, is, the, is the, yeah. the, right, right. The, exactly. But anyway, uh, so Rod learned at, at really with his grandfather and then his father began a, uh, he learned, uh, Rod built his first 356 when he was 14 years old. Wow. Okay. And then his father owned a shop called uh, Parts Obsolete, and he began to collect uh, obscure uh, Porsche 356 parts. Right. And little by little, that turned into, a, a, you know, Rod is very deeply steeped in the Porsche tradition. He understands the history, a super expert in, in, the, in the history. So he has a reverence for Porsche, but he has the mentality of a Calif Southern California hot rodder. Right, so it's a very interesting combination, yeah. but he never he never lets that get in the way of the purity of what Porsche has done. Sure. And um, so when I met him, what, that was the, one of the first things that appealed to me about him, because I knew he was going to do something that was respectful of, of the history yeah. uh, and the, the legacy of the brand. But he was also going to do something that was really going to take it to another place. And so uh, we, we collaborated for over two years on it. And uh, it was a, an amazing experience to be able to work with him to get this car just, just right. And it won at Amelia Island. You put together the cars and the uh, was it the cars and yeah. the stars event, Amelia Island a couple of years ago, and you got, you got the uh, top prize, which looks fabulous. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing like winning the top prize in your, in your own category, right? Well, you know, <laughs> you know what you're doing. That's the trick. Uh, so that's the car, the Rod Emery, uh, special, um, which looks wonderful. Yes. Uh, and we know why that car, because obviously you built it and it, you know, drives beautifully. Um, because, you know, as a gearhead, you know, you, as you just talking about the history and provenance, it's like the other uh, musicians who I've interviewed for the podcast include Brian Johnson, uh, JK of Jamiroquai and 
Nick yeah. Mason, who are all Nick Mason, obviously a big car collector, and you uh, you fit in so well because obviously it's all about how the cars, you know, the history, the smell, the feel, and you're not just buying them for the sake of buying them, uh, which I think is wonderful. Um, uh, and so you know, it's so great to have you on the podcast and talking about your own car. Um, destination um we'll come to so why that car we've covered that question two destination question three you've obviously been all over the world you've you set out you know after you left college for europe and you went to some f1 races and since then obviously you're racing um you know you've raced all over the world and been to lots of events um and i'd, I'd love in your book describing your road trips and your touring i think you you bought your parents pontiac gto was it uh yellow yes. pontiac gto is <laughs> your first talker and pontiac seemingly and we'll come to their station pontiacs are quite they're part of your story when it comes to cars because you had that gto then it had the fiero uh fiero is that how you pronounce it fiero fiero, fiero mm -hmm. um as part of your uh, collaboration with the company spawned when they sponsored one of your uh tours the daryl horn john right. tours back in the day and of course I love the story of you when you were living next to Hunter S. Thompson and you had to move his big <laughs> red convertible. Uh, That's uh, right. The land shark. Yes. The land shark. Yeah. That, that piece in about with Hunter S. Thompson and you, you having to talk to him about your piece for the article for the, the local paper <laughs> was brilliant. So destinations, you know, you've, you've been around the world and your outlaw, where would you be heading for? Well, uh, you know, uh, I, I have to say that, and I've, I'm kind of repeating myself, but the, this uh, it was a, a very, very uh, welcome surprise when I moved to Tennessee to find these incredible roads. And right. during COVID, when no one was driving, it yeah. was unbelievable. I mean, I would go on these drives, literally 40, 50 mile drives on back roads, not having a clue where I was going, just making lefts and rights and always kind of having a general sense of I was going to be able to get back to where I started. But I would never see anyone. And right. it was kind of crazy. I, I kept telling my friends, you know, it's kind of like having like a, a public road having your own racetrack there's no one around and it you know and you can just basically do whatever you want yeah. um so i have to say it was pretty pretty ultimate um but i've uh, i've driven uh, driven the car out in you know of course southern california is a hotbed for you know great driving you know the the mountains uh, right outside of la where you see a lot of these car videos being taken yeah um the the angeles crest highway is a is a fantastic drive yeah uh, it's it's one of the most famous um, and I, you know, and, and driving out in Colorado is, is pretty spectacular as well. In the summertime, uh, my son and I took a road trip uh, to go to the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Oh, and we went over uh, Independence Pass right. uh, to, uh, you know, and, and we went that way over to Colorado Springs. And that was an epic drive, you know, uh, just going over one of the highest, you know, altitude passes for cars in, in North America. And, uh, you know, doing it early in the morning when no one's on the road and, Yes, it's, it's it, there's some really great drives here in America. I haven't had enough uh, opportunity to do a lot of European drives, although yeah. I did visit the Porsche factory two years ago and um, uh, was was with a couple guys from Porsche and they took me out on a 356 road trip through Bavaria. And oh, wow. uh, that was that was fantastic. Bavaria uh, is beautiful. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Porsche, so, uh, Porsche, Porsche is uh, big in your list. It, it, you have uh, the English cars, you've had uh, Austin Healy's, so you had an MGB back in the day. And 
one of your first a, a few, um, a couple Alpha Romeos, Alphas, yeah. yeah, an Alpha Spider, and Porsche. When it comes to nine eleven or the nine thirty, that was your first big purchase, was it? The red, yes, Turbo, um, the red which turbo you took across America. I did. I, oh, I forgot about that. I'm glad you reminded me. Talk well, about ultimate road trips. Well, that was a that was a I'd unique like thing. Yes, me too. Again, uh, uh, that yes, that was um, you know uh, that was an amazing period of time. I was having my first commercial success, making money for the first time, being out in L.A. You know, you get caught up in the Hollywood thing. Yeah. Uh, I happened to drive by the showroom, and there it was. You know, this red 930 had just come to America. It was the first year, and um, it had come out in Europe the year before, but uh, there it was. And I knew exactly what it was. And, you know, I went drooling into the showroom, you know, and uh, ended up uh, my manager had to negotiate Rod Stewart out of the deposit that yeah. he had put on it. And uh, I managed to get it. Um, so what had happened was once uh, I had it in California during that period of time, uh, shipped it back to East where I was living. And then my girlfriend and I drove to Florida in it from New York right. uh, to go on a, a Caribbean vacation. Right. And um, when we came back from the Caribbean, a giant blizzard had hit the entire East Coast of America. Yeah. And I couldn't drive the car back to New York. So I went to Brumos Porsche in a very famous Porsche dealership in uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, right. where Hurley Haywood and Peter Gregg, and they raced a lot of out there. And I basically just pulled in and said, hey, look, guys, I can't drive this car back to New York. Can you hold it for me for a little while? And they were great. And they said, sure, no problem. They held it for me. And then a, a month or so later, I went down there with one of my roadies and because we were going to record in L.A. Yeah. And I uh, jumped in the car and we did the southern route across Interstate 10 um, through Arizona and past the Grand Canyon and New Mexico and across Texas. I mean, it was fabulous. And ended up stuff. back in L.A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Well, if I could read a small piece of your memoir back about that trip, you said after that week long journey in the Porsche, the cross country trip was a rite of passage and a chance to do something as I loved arguably as much as music driving, which I think is a is a lovely uh, a lovely passage because that's the thing you were so busy in the 80s well 70s and 80s especially so to try and find time for your driving and your <laughs> racing i mean you you started out in karts just talking about the racing uh, side mm -hmm. of things karts to formula ford with richard lloyd and then you went up to uh, a lola and then uh, up to your sport 2000 when i interviewed you at goodwood actually you had a sport 2000 tiga you were part of the race Tiger race team. Was that right in America? Yeah. So you found time, mm -hmm. luckily, to indulge your your love of racing. Of course, you've lots of love. You've got lots of uh, of loves. Skiing is another of them, but racing um, is something you found time for until that rather nasty accident that you put in the book. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you know, I, and I'm glad you mentioned Richard Lloyd because he was such an important part, and not only a, a great friend. Uh, Richard was, you know, Richard was a well-known British uh, touring car driver yeah. and he ran GTI engineering. Of course he ran the 956s, 962s. Um, and at the time Richard, Richard had also uh, been in the music business. So right. we, we really bonded over the fact he, you know, he loved music. I love racing. We kind of got together and Richard was the one that took me to Brands Hatch for my first racing school. Okay. Uh, and um, 
introduced me over there. And um, I did the racing school with Brands Hatch, which was my first time in a Formula Ford car. And so and then years later, Richard and I got to do a few races together in the 924 GTR Porsche, uh, some IMSA endurance races. So yeah, Richard was just a fabulous, you know, still friends. And, and I'm actually the godfather for one of his daughters oh, right. uh, and you know, uh, Richard passed away in, a, in an airplane accident many years ago. Yeah. And, uh, but he was a very important part of, you know, introducing me to uh, the world of racing and the great racing community. Yeah. Which, as you said, you've got to know Sir Jackie Stewart and in your book, you put uh, your experience with racing and meeting George Harrison, um, mm-hmm. who was also a good friend. Cause again, for the, podcast i interviewed uh, gordon murray the designer of the mclaren f1 and he was also he knew george harrison and he picked a tune of george harrison's for his road trip um so uh so a lot of musicians and racing you know went hand in hand nick mason as i've already said it's great that you managed to before you had that that accident was it at uh bridge elkhart, no, it wasn't, lake. elkhart lake yeah which uh, road, road did, america yes you decided that was it you won once bitten twice oh. shy yeah i mean you know uh I had a few little shunts and spins and things like that, but this was pretty serious. I mean, I woke up, you know, I didn't know, you know, I, I woke up in, uh, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, didn't really know what happened. Right. Uh, so it, it was a big one. You know, it's, it was at a part in the a track called the kink, which is on the leading to the back straightaway, a very high speed, flat out uh, right hand kink. Right. And it's, uh, it's normally taken flat out and right in, I mean, it couldn't have happened at a worse place. Uh, the transmission locked up. Uh, it was the, either the rear end or the transmission and the car just spun. It was just like that. It was right. nothing I could do. Um, anyway, that it kind of, uh, it was a wake up call for sure. Um, you know, I'm, let's put it this way. I'm glad I had the wake up part of the call. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, But anyway, uh, yeah. And I just thought, but I've never really, you know, I've always, I do track days. I take my personal cars. I've done uh, track days. I, I la- uh, two years ago, I got a chance to drive a 962 for the first time well wow, okay. and you'll notice that i i said i drove it i did not race it because i was so intimidated i have to be honest with you uh, not ever having sat in one uh and knowing the value of it yeah and then the fact that knowing what you know what it was capable of so i just trundled around a racetrack uh, for a few laps uh but at least i can say i did it taking it all uh, in so, yeah uh, yeah yeah the experience was pretty 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 sobering when you realize that there was those guys back in the day were were just wringing the necks of these cars oh, incredible and yeah fabulous yeah yeah um yeah uh some great memories just going back to porsche i only recently a couple of days ago saw your karma porsche video and that's a lovely story about how you've re uh, <laughs> you you brought back your white 930 carrera uh, that you uh, that you had Built especially for you with a, a special Porsche program. Special wishes. Yes. Special wishes. That was it. So uh, it must be great to have that back in in your stable. Because you say you know you you did a lot of clearing out in the late eighties, early nineties of your cars, but you've you you've kept the ones that are important to you, and that is what obviously the Rod uh, Emery, the outlaw you have. But that must be a special thing to have back. That white nine thirty. <laughs> That goes, it's actually pearl white, it's iridescent pearl, pearl white. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and um, Richard Lloyd was very instrumental in that uh, as well, because I was on tour in Europe and I called Richard and I said, hey, Richard, I'm, I'm going to Germany, you know, I'd love to visit the Porsche factory. Um, and uh, I, I said, can you pave the way for me? And he called Norbert Singer and uh, got me a special invitation. So I was able to uh, tour the factory 
Right. Uh, and then uh, I went into a little office and it was just so low key in those days. I mean, compared to the, the way Porsche has evolved and the, you know, the technology, it was just so, it was like going into someone's family home. Yeah. Uh, and I remember sitting at a desk with this guy and he just threw a bunch of pamphlets down in front of me and said, what do you want? And I said, <laughs> well, let's do this. And one of those, one of those. And yeah. this and this. Yeah. And um so it, it was one of the early special wishes cars because they hadn't, now they have, it's called Porsche exclusive now yeah. uh, where you can customize your, your car. Uh, in those days, it was just a beginning program in, in its earliest days. So this might be one of the early uh, special wishes cars. And it has, uh, it has a, it has stuff that even some of the diehard Porsche people don't even know where it came from. Uh, it has the steering wheel from the flat nose 930. Right. Um, it has turbo. Uh, there's a lot of turbo stuff in it, even though it's not a turbo. Right. It's a straight 911 Carrera. Yeah. Um, it has turbo seats. It has a, it has um, pause attraction rear end. It's lowered. It's got uh, eights and nines instead of sixes and sevens or sevens and eights. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of lot of stuff that's that. It, it's very subtle, but it's a beautiful car, and the the. After I sold it around 1990, two owners owned it, but they kept it intact, right. which was a miracle. Yeah, and that car has 38,000 miles on it. Wow! So, and it it uh, I had Porsche Classic do a complete stem to stern, uh, you know, overhaul and check, yeah. Yeah. and it it runs it runs like a new car. Run forever, I can imagine. Yeah, mm -hmm. fabulous. Um, but let's get on to the passenger. Um, we're on a in, a, in your uh, Rod Emery Outlaw special, Roads of Nashville, the passenger. And when I ask the question, a lot of people say, naturally, my partner. Um, some people might choose racing or music heroes, but uh, a passenger for your ultimate road trip in the uh, Outlaw special in Nashville. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to have to qualify this answer as well. Go on. My wife loves driving in the MG because I drive slow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't think I, I've had one or two passengers in the car. I remember I took, I took one of my guitar players who plays in my Nashville band for a ride because he's a, you know, he's a, he's not, he's not a really a gearhead, but he does like his cars. But he, he, when he got out of the Emory car, he said, he said, that wasn't a drive. That was an experience. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that, and, and, basically I drive by myself. It's, it's a okay. chance for me to be honest with you. It's a chance for me to get away from everything. I clear my mind. I don't play the radio. I just drive and I, it's a zone out focused thing that I can do. It's, it's, it's very therapeutic for me. Yeah. And I bet a lot of, uh, a lot of people will tell you something similar to that. Yeah, I could. Yeah, absolutely. But just going back to your musical partner of, you know, Decades, Daryl mm -hmm. Hall. Does he like his cars? I know he. It sounds like he does up classic houses, and you've done up classic cars. Does he? Have you ever got him into cars? Do you do you chat with him back in the day about what you were buying, <laughs> or is he not a gear? He's not a gearhead, and as far as you know, Daryl. 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 Daryl likes to be driven in a car. Right. Okay. Yes. Say no more. Say no more. Um, well, let's get on to the tune, and again. A very difficult question, especially when I'm at somewhere like Goodwood or a classic car show, and I'm asking him, my interviewee on the hop, "What's the tune?" It's a, a difficult thing to come up come up with. I mean, just thinking about music, you have a lot of influences 
from your days uh, with the band and and from before. And obviously, a lot of a lot of people have been influenced by you. You are now a solo performer, although of course you do tour with Daryl. But it's it's really interesting how your music has been brought back to the fore in the past, you know, 10, 20 years through through movies, through sampling, you know, a great story. I know this is a long time ago about Michael Jackson and the Billy Jean sample of I Can't yeah. Go For That. So music obviously is a big part of your life. It is a tricky question. If you had to choose one tune from your back catalogue or perhaps a Temptations song. I, boy, it would be, it would definitely be a, an R&B song from the uh, early 60s. I can tell you that. Um, I have a feeling it might be something that came out of the Stax Volt era, um, Maybe Sam and Dave, you know, Hold On, I'm Coming, or, uh, you know, uh, maybe an Otis Redding song. Like, um, I always love Otis Redding's crazy version of Satisfaction, where it's just like, especially the live version from, uh, from that he recorded in Europe right. uh, on that, uh, that tour, where it's like, done it like it's it's so cool fast the tempo is like off the charts. I love that. <laughs> um, so maybe that would be a good one. Yeah, I mean, driving tunes, you've come up with your own driving tune from your latest, mm-hmm. you know, as a solo artist, you've had, I think, seven albums now. Yeah. And Drive My Car is from one of your latest. Do Have you always wanted to do a, a track about driving? Yeah. Or is it just something that came to you? It, I, yeah, I just, I, I thought about it. I said, I, I, you know, I've never, you know, it was back, I think the song's called Let's Drive. And, Let's Drive, um, sorry, yeah. It, exactly. Yeah, and and it was a it was just one of those things where I, I just gave myself a little bit of a challenge. I just said, you know, I never all these cars songs have been written. I've never written one. It's time for me to write a car song. So it's really not about driving, but it's a metaphor for something else. No, absolutely. Uh, but you know, when it comes to the music of of Daryl Hall and John Oates, just going back to your music, interesting how you've been always ahead of the game. You know, your influences, folk, rock, soul. You always were using technology that was in its infancy. You know, you were the first to use a lot of new technology in the sixties, well, seventies, and yeah. uh, and the eighties, which is which is which is great. And that leaves a, a great legacy. And you always said it was interesting uh, in another interview I, uh, and in your book that you always wanted to stay independent. You were part of the big music machine, but like I interviewed Dave Robinson, who started out the Stiff record label in the UK, and he always liked to say that they did things differently when it came to making music and tried to stay as independent as they could. And even though you were on these big labels, you were always stayed independent and true to your roots. And uh, I think that's the magic of Daryl Hall and John Oates. We've, we've always wanted to, um, we never liked the idea that we were going to be, um, you know, co-opted into the corporate, you know, universe of, of recording, even though we were uh, to some extent, you know, they couldn't help it in the, in the old paradigm uh, that's, that's luckily for us, for everyone is now gone, which yeah. is great because there's so much, it's, it's, it's just a wide open playing field for anything you want to do creatively, um, which is good and bad. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we, we looked at ourselves, we've always looked at ourselves as two individuals who work together. Um, and we always, uh, we always wanted to be independent of the big, you know, the big machine, so to speak. And uh, we went, we, we became one of the first classic artists to become independent artists as early as the mid mid nineties. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people perhaps don't realize that, but you know, we, we, uh, our last record contract was with Arista records, which ended in ni- 1990, I believe or 91. Right. 
And from that point on, we made it, we, have, we haven't made many albums, but, you know, we made an album in 96, which was our first independent record, another one in 2001 um, called Do It For Love. And then, of course, it was a few, uh, two, two more albums in between. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Daryl and I, I don't think would ever, we would never sign to a major label. There's no point in that, you know, with our life. But you're enjoying your solo career now. I mean, we're looking forward. You're in Nashville uh, playing in some places that I've read from your book. You know, you never dreamt you'd play. And, uh, but you're still touring and you're hoping to get back on the road. You know, pandemic permitting in August. That's your, your, next, uh, your next tour. I think yeah. Katie Tunstall and, uh, and Squeeze. Um, uh, so it. you love, must be, love both of them. You must be looking forward to that and getting well, back on the so. road. I hope the, uh, I hope the world lets us do it. We're, we're supposed to make the final decision in mid-May. Uh, it's looking better and better. So uh, things are improving. So hopefully we'll be able to get this tour uh, out of the way and then we'll see where it takes us. But I love KT and I love Squeeze. Um, you know, those guys are great and uh, they sound better than ever. Uh, we only got to do two shows with them but uh, <laughs> before the rug got pulled yeah. out from us uh, in 2020. But they're great and they've always been great. Uh, their music is, uh, love their song and songwriting. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. And I must also mention Collaboration, which I saw some YouTube videos. That's an, another exciting new outlet for your love of cars and getting out there. Is that something mm -hmm. that you've, again, you've been wanting to put together for a while or is it, has lockdown helped you be the catalyst to get that going? Well, I, I got it. I, I put it into place because I wanted to have a place to archive and talk about my cars, which is really, you know, not necessarily my, some of my other social media platforms are just better suited to music and, yeah. you know, kind of casual lifestyle stuff. So I wanted to, to separate them. I haven't really spent a lot of time uh, working on car elaboration, but I will. Uh, I'm going to be doing, uh, actually, I'm about to go out to LA uh, in May and do the Jay Leno, uh, Jay Leno's garage. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, and I'm doing it with the Rod Emery car. Right. So uh, actually, in the next few days, that car will be shipped out to LA, and uh, we'll be going out there to do that. So I'm sure we'll we'll follow that. Plus, I have another car build that's happening uh, in Florida. A uh, good friend of mine named Kevin Jeanette uh, at a place called Gunner Racing right. is building me a uh, 914.6 hot rod GT. Um, I call it the badass six. Um, it's <laughs> It's it's a it's a serious it. <laughs> it's a it's a serious extrapolation of the nine fourteen six concept. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, it's as if you took nine fourteen six and blew it up on steroids. Uh, it's it's going to be pretty radical. It's almost like a street racer. So um, something I'll just to look forward to. Say that. that yeah, and that's that's in the works, and it's actually in the final stages of building. So hopefully Great we'll stuff. have that ready for next year. Well, and we look forward to seeing Jay Leno in the uh, the Outlaw special on that. Well, John Oates, what an amazing road trip in your Rod Emery Outlaw special along the roads of you. Nashville. Otis Redding, <laughs> I think, on the on the radio. It's a privilege to talk to you this afternoon, John, and uh, look forward to seeing you back on the road and hopefully back over in the UK on stage and maybe at Goodwood again. I'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you again there. Uh, so, John, th thank you Can't so wait. much for your time and for talking about your ultimate road trip on the podcast this afternoon. Gives me a chance to talk about something other than music, so I really loved it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. I can't